Welcome back to our Advent series entitled, Give Up. In the midst of this Christmas season, one of the things we know is that our God is the giver of every good and perfect gift in our lives. God wishes to shower us with the blessings that truly matter. And so the question we're asking ourselves is, in this season, what might we be willing to give up in order to receive the true blessing of God? Last week, we heard about Pastor Zechariah, who was willing to give up his fear for peace. Today, as we continue our series, we'll hear the story of Joseph. Come to understand how he was willing to give up his confusion for hope. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, that was the most important birth announcement the world has ever heard. And it gives us so much information of value for our lives. It tells us that Jesus was coming, that he was in fact the Messiah. It tells us something about his nature, that he was born both of human flesh and of the Holy Spirit. So much important, so much beauty in those words in Matthew chapter 1. But today, I want to focus on two little words that I'm guessing we probably all overlooked. If you've got your Bibles open, look back with me at Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph was faithful to the law, and yet did not wish to expose Mary to public disgrace. In fact, it wasn't just public disgrace that Joseph was worried about. According to Deuteronomy chapter 22, if Joseph had pressed the issue, Mary would have had to be stoned to death for being found with child during their engagement. 
Joseph found himself in a conundrum. He wanted to be faithful to the law. And yet, wanted no harm to come to Mary. And yet, two little words. Two little words, but contained within them was a storm of uncertainty. Joseph was confused. He wasn't sure which path was the right path. And my brothers and sisters, it is here that we find a point of intersection with Joseph's life. Because we encounter moments of confusion and dissonance all the time. Do I stay in this career or do I pursue another one? How do I give my children an increasing degree of autonomy and yet help guide them in such a way that ensures they make good choices? And this year, there could be an extra valence of confusion in our lives with questions like, should I go home for Christmas or not? Some of the confusion that we face in our lives is personal in nature. Some of it is societal in nature. There's confusion all around us. One of my favorite games to play in my car is that I have five talk radio stations set to my preset dials. Number one is the sports talk radio. But I find that they are at commercial a lot. So when sports talk is at commercial, I play this game. I flip back and forth between the other four stations and try to figure out how differently they are covering the same story. And oftentimes, they're covering that same story very, very differently, which tells us there is dissonance and there is confusion across our culture, which probably isn't news to any of us. All of this chaos, the confusion that happens both personally and in our society is fertile ground for an important spiritual lesson. See, oftentimes when we find ourselves in moments of dissonance and confusion, we feel like the most important thing we can do is find resolution. When when faced with confusion, do I pick path A or do I pick path B? My brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to us that that is not the path of faith. Not path A or path B. The response of faith Rather, is to be fully committed in the midst of confusion and consternation. The response of faith is to claim God's promise of hope. That through the power of the living God, everything will be well in the end. In Psalm 16, 8 and 9, we read this. The psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. 
my flesh also will rest in hope. My flesh also will rest in hope. Because of who God is, my flesh will rest in hope. Friends, what we learn here is that hope gives us rest from the confusion of the world. It tells me that my confusion, my consternation in this moment, they are nothing to be compared with the power of God. Hope, my friends, is not a good faith effort towards seeing the glass half full. Hope is not merely optimism. Hope is a choice. Hope is a choice. A decision to trust the promise of God over the problem of this moment. Hope is the decision to trust the promise of God over the problem of this moment. There was a man named Halford Luckock. And he told a story about a little town called Flagstaff. In the early part of the 20th century, the town of Flagstaff was to be flooded because of the construction of a nearby dam. In the months before the construction was complete, all the improvements and repairs in the whole town were stopped. Why would you paint a house if you knew it was going to be underwater in just a few months' time? Why repair anything when the whole village was going to be wiped out? So week by week, the town became more and more bedraggled. It went to seed. It was, as Luckock said, woe be gone. And then he added by way of explaining the tragedy of the story. He said, where there is no hope for the future. There is no power in the present. Where there is no hope for the future, there is no power in the present. My brothers and sisters, we are always people of hope. Always. Why? Because God has conquered all of our big problems. Already. Death and hell and the grave, they are conquered. They are dealt with. And more than that, Scripture promises us time and time again that God will walk with us through our lesser problems like the ones that we are experiencing today. In our story, Joseph came to understand this in a way that none of us could could even imagine. Faced with a terribly difficult choice, do I save a life or follow the law? Racked with confusion, God broke into Joseph's story with hope. Perhaps our experiences don't involve the coming of a terrifying angel. But our promise is the same as Joseph's ever was. Everything will be well. Jesus is coming. We as followers of Christ are entitled to hope. It was won by our God and gifted to us. Such that the real choice we have to face 
when we encounter confusion and difficulty is not, do I choose path A or do I choose path B, but rather, will I hold on to hope in the middle of the chaos? Friends, if we really pay attention to how God works, we'll see that it is the chaos, the chaos that so often gives birth to God's salvation, the genesis of God's transformational activity in our lives. God does amazing things in chaos. Scripture says God creates out of chaos. In the year 587, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian people conquered the southern kingdom of Judea. They carried the people off into captivity. It was a heartbreaking, bloody, and painful ordeal. And yet, because of those moments of confusion and consternation and chaos, we have parts of the book of Chronicles and Isaiah. We have books like Jeremiah and Daniel God called them out of the chaos. Ezra, Nehemiah, Lamentations. We have these treasure troves of promise and hope because God does amazing things in chaos. And God still does. I told you that I was going to share later on in our worship service about two big events that are coming our way here at Ebenezer Church. It's no secret that Christmas Eve here at Ebenezer is a powerful experience. Throughout the course of this day, on on Christmas Eve, 3,000 candles are lifted in this room in honor of the newborn king. Since summer, I have been thinking and thinking and thinking. How can I come up with an idea that can bring together a massive group of people safely for this meaningful Christmas experience? I thought if if I would simply think long enough and hard enough that I would come up with a solution that maybe I could save Christmas. I came up with nothing. I discovered that I couldn't bring a group of people so large together and do it safely. And when I finally allowed myself to accept that, I found myself in some degree of despair. (laughs) Man, I should have known. I should have known. I should have remembered that it is often in the midst of our chaos that God does God's greatest work and act of hope. Because one day, one of our team members, James Mills, said, I have an idea. You know, we can't do all of this stuff together like we normally do, but what if we created space for each family to experience Christmas right here at Ebenezer. 
together. Together. But like the holy family, each of the families in our community could make a pilgrimage like they did on the first Christmas. Through this building. A journey through five different locations telling the Christmas story once again. Culminating right here in the sanctuary where surrounded by hundreds of lights people would have a chance to light their candle and to kneel once more before the king as a family. That's not the same as what we've always done. But I predict that it will be one of the most powerful Christmases we can remember. You can find out more information about our Christmas experience by going to our website. Reserve your space to to make this journey. December 18th through the 23rd, right here at Ebenezer Church. Oh, and Christmas Eve? Well, my friends, we've already begun production on the Christmas candlelight service. We're going to offer it at three different times on Christmas Eve. Three, seven, and eleven through our streaming services. You can, you can join us online and, and reach out during those times to connect with our brothers and sisters across Stafford and across the world who are joining in the services. Or if your family so chooses, you can stream it at a time that's most convenient for you. Here's the point. Confusion. When left in God's hands, confusion gives birth to hope. And we are entitled to hope through Jesus Christ. But we are not entitled to keep it to ourselves. My friends, of all the things the world needs right now, of all the things it is hungry for, it is hungry for nothing more than hope. There's a man by the name of Eugene Land, a businessman. And in 1981, almost 40 years ago now, Eugene Land was invited to come and speak to a graduating class of sixth graders at New York's Public School 121. He recalls afterwards that he'd made some notes about what he was going to say to these young people. He was, he was going to tell them that he faced adversity when he was young and he worked really hard to become successful. And if, if they would just work really hard, they might become successful as well. That's what was in his notes. And then he stood up. He walked to the podium and he looked out across those 61 sixth grade faces. And he decided that something more was required of him. So he crumpled up his notes, threw them to the side, looked out at those sixth graders and said, if you will graduate from high school, I will pay for you to go to college. If you will graduate from high school, I will pay for you to go to college. 
It was an unbelievable promise, and the people in the room sat there in stunned silence for just a moment, and then applause erupted. After the presentation was over, after the children had come and and, shaken uh, Eugene's hand, after the parents had given him hugs, Eugene and the principal were walking out of the building, and the principal turned to him. He said, Mr. Land, that was a good show, but you need to understand Of those 61 students, we project that not more than one or two will even make it to high school graduation. Six years later, of those 61 students, 55 graduated from high school. The vast majority of them going on to a four-year college. Hope. Hope is one of the most powerful forces in the universe, and we can share it. We are agents of hope. We're purveyors of it. God does not pour hope onto us so we can keep it to ourselves. And no, not all of us are in a position to send a group of sixth graders on to college. We do have the opportunity to bring light into the everyday lives of those around us. Not optimism, not just a sunny disposition, an unfettered faith in a God who turns confusion and chaos into redemption and hope. We get to choose the promise of God over the problems of today, and more than that, we get to help the people around us do it too. Gary Thomas wrote an article in Christianity Today telling about something that happened back in 1982. It was the funeral of Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev and then Vice President George H.W. Bush was attending his state funeral in November of 82. The Vice President remembers being deeply moved by a silent protest that was carried out by Brezhnev's widow. She stood motionless by the coffin of her husband until just moments before it was closed. And then, as the soldiers touched the lid of the coffin, Leonid Brezhnev's wife reached down and in what must go down as one of the greatest acts of civil disobedience In history, she made the sign of the cross on her husband's chest. There in the citadel of secular and atheistic power, the wife of the man who had run it all was possessed by hope. Hope that her husband was wrong. Hope that there was another life to be found in Jesus Christ. Hope that God would have mercy on her husband. There is no place on this earth 
No frozen tundra of atheism, no fire of confusion, no problem or challenge. Nowhere, nothing, and no one is immune to the hope of God found in Jesus Christ. And we are the bearers of that hope to this world. And I pray that when we find ourselves drawn into the anxiety of our own circumstances... We will remember to choose hope instead. The promise of God over the problem of this moment. More than that, I pray that a question will burn in our souls this day so long as we draw breath. How can I be a bringer of hope? to those around me. The living, loving God sent Jesus Christ to the earth. And though we still face confusion, still face difficulty and consternation and indecision, though things are not always perfectly clear, we are entitled to hope. We're just not entitled to keep it to ourselves. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for the tremendous gift of Jesus and for the promises that are ours, the promises that our lives are secure, for you have conquered death and grave, the promise that sin can be a thing of the past because you have conquered it too. Lord, we have right not to our anxiety, not to our fears. We have the birthright of hope and peace. So Lord, help us bask in the joy of your hope, the promise that you make. All will be well in the end. Not only might we keep this hope for ourselves, but Lord, help us to be purveyors and sharers of the tremendous hope that is found in Jesus Christ, in whose name and for whose sake we pray. Amen.